Hi, welcome to the Hindus Parlor podcast. I am your host, John Zeeb. Generate artificial intelligence is now like the proverbial genie that's out of the bottle. In less than a year, chatbots like ChatGPT, Bard, Claw, and Pi have shown what generative AI powered applications can do. These tools have also revealed their own vulnerabilities and dark sides, making policymakers and scientists think deeply about the impact of these new systems. Is this genie a benevolent one or selfish, and should it be regulated? That will be the topic we'll be discussing today with two experts, Dr. Arul Skeria and Mr. Shavey. Arul is an associate professor of law at the National Law School of India. He comes with deep expertise in intellectual property and competition law. He is also an affiliate faculty of the Copyright X and Patent X courses offered at the Harvard Law School. Krishare is a resident fellow at the Atlantic Council's Geotech Center, where she researches geopolitics and security trends related to emerging technologies. Previously, she was a deputy director at the Center for Security Strategy and Technology at the Observer Research Foundation in India. Trisha and Arul, thank you so much for being part of this podcast. Thank you, John. So, uh, if you could give us the current landscape on which Generative AI sits uh, from the framework of who owns content and what is the legal framework through which this operates. Sure. So, thanks, John. So, this is an issue which is currently being discussed in jurisdictions across the globe and different jurisdictions might eventually be also taking different positions on this. So, let's start from the jurisdiction that has most clarity on this so far and that's United States. So, if you look at the U.S. Copyright Office practices as well as the approach taken by the U.S. courts in one, at least one of the recent decisions, it is very clear that only human beings can own copyright. And if that's the position which we are taking, then it is also leading us to a situation wherein most of the outputs generated by these generative AI tools will be outside copyright protection. So there is a noise uh, which is coming in for giving copyright protection for these firms which are behind, which are involved in the in this particular field. But the position which the U.S. Copyright Office, as well as the at least one of the courts in the United States, has taken is there will not be any copyright over these works when it is not human order. But one may contrast this position with what has happened in India. So a couple of months back, uh, one of the IP lawyers in India filed a copyright registration application for a painting, uh, which I think in the initial application, it was claimed that this was generated by AI alone and that was rejected. But subsequently, when he filed it as a jointly ordered work, the Copyright Office accepted that application. And this is a really ridiculous situation because we never had any in-depth deliberations on whether AI-generated works are subject to copyright protection. So the Copyright Office was actually jumping the gun. So maybe they might wanted to show that, yes, they are the most focused ones in this regard. But the net result was without any deliberations, they granted this 
joint authorship to a work which was generated by um, NA. And when the matter became a controversy, they issued a withdrawal notice to the concerned joint author, the human co-author there. But um, when I am checking the Copyright Office website, it is um, at least showing that that registration is still not revoked so in other words that registration is still standing there so this is a really problematic situation and these two jurisdictions illustrate also the kind of complexity in this area now so yeah that's that's the general position which we have at this stage uh, thank you, Arul. So, so, Trisha, from your perspective, how do you see this in the policy, existing policy, like how Arul has picked this, uh, the, the point about the joint authorship with AI? Uh, or could you offer your perspective around uh, a scenario like this? Like how should this particular, uh, how do you see this approach uh, from the Indian Patents Office, Copyright Office? Yeah, so... Um... As Arul rightly pointed out, the United States is is quite ahead on at least starting to think about uh, different approaches to how AI would interact with existing copyright law. Now, the interesting thing is uh, going through the U.S. Copyright Office's guidance on generative AI. Uh, of course, the broad standing is that it only recognizes copyright for works created by people, but AI is a little different. So it, we can see it in different ways. One is where I'm just giving a very basic prompt to a generative AI model. For example, write me a 300 word essay on uh, copyright and generative AI. Here the AI is doing most of the quote unquote creative labor, uh, but when I, as a prompt engineer, am giving more detailed inputs and then I transform what the model has produced, then I can arguably apply for copyright still. So it's still an evolving debate and there's really no clear yes or no answer. In Indian copyright law, I think it would be similar in that for, for something to be recognized as copyrightable, there needs to be a level of creativity uh, involved by the author. So it can't just be, uh, in that sense, labor done by AI. So I would say that maybe in India, that debate will also evolve. Uh, again, generative AI is really new, at least in the public consciousness, not new as a technology. Uh, and so... We're still really in the first few years of this debate coming into legal and policy circles, and we'll likely see a more nuanced interpretation over time. Uh, so how do you, how would we look at uh, uh, within the so we've compared it with uh, the current existing framework in India and the US? If we were to bring in the EU AI Act, what so, what aspect of AI uh, would an EU act? Uh, regulate and how do you see that in the context of uh, what is available in US and in India? Uh, I just wanted to maybe, uh, before we move into the AI Act, I just wanted to add one nuance to what Trisha rightly pointed out. So she rightly pointed out that um, in the context of Generate A, uh, maybe we will have to also look at what kind of prompts are given by the concerned authors. Uh, but there also, I mean, if you look at the recent uh, U.S. Copyright Office guidelines, one of the issues which they still highlight is that these 
models are a black box. So even if we are giving X number of prompts, the final decision on what output is or should be generated is taken by the model, which in effect means there is absolutely no control on the side of the human contributor, right? And as long as this remains a black box, I am still not very sure how much we can actually go in terms of granting an authorship um, with respect to that human contributor. So I just wanted to add that nuance. Thanks, Rul. Yeah, I think that's a very fa fairly important in terms of the explainability aspect of uh, AI. Atusha, you want to reply to that or add something to what Arul said? No, I will defer to Arul on legal matters, given that he's the legal scholar. Okay, um, okay so uh, on to the question about the EU AI Act. One, just, just before we start discussing the EU AI Act, it's, I just want to put a disclaimer here that the Act has not been passed. It will still be uh, some months before it is enacted. Okay, the European Parliament has uh, passed some version of the EU AI Act, but now it's going to be the individual member states negotiating the final shape of the Act. So it will still it'll still take some time uh, before we arrive on a firm answer on what these European regulations will look like. But in general, uh, the way the EU has been regulating emerging tech and AI uh, has been very focused on individual protections against gatekeepers, large platforms, and uh, companies that kind of dominates the market. I expect that to still be an aspect that will be taken into account in the EU AI Act as well. Uh, what we can talk about uh, as another example, perhaps, is the EU Digital Markets Act. Uh, while I don't think they've explicitly talked about generative AI models there, but the DMA's stance is that certain companies are so-called gatekeepers, because uh, they're, they provide core platform services or have some form of market dominance. Uh, and so to, to level the playing field, they've imposed uh, interoperability requirements, for example, for, for such platforms. Uh, so that's one way we could think about how this might take shape. Because even in the current landscape, when we think about who is building and investing in these large language models and generative AI models? It is very heavily concentrated towards large industry entities. Even OpenAI is backed by Microsoft, for example. Uh, Facebook has Llama. Uh, so that's that's certainly going to be one challenge that the EU AI Act might look into. Thank you, Trisha. Arul, how do you see the EU AI Act? So there are, I think, uh, two things which I would like to highlight uh, from the current version of the EU Act. So one is the transparency-related obligations it is trying to bring on generative AI. So for example, um, if something is generated uh, through these generative AI tools, yes, it needs to be tagged as a uh, material generated by generative AI tools. So that's one important contribution suggested by them. The second thing is to also provide at least a short summary of the uh, training material use, which again is important from a copyright perspective. So on that front, on the transparency front, it is making, a, I would say, very major 
initiative whether this would be successful or not only time will tell us the other important thing which again we should um, keep in mind is that eu is also taking a risk based approach right wherein they are um, prohibiting certain kinds of um, a practices and for certain other ones which are generally categorized as the high risk ones they are also Uh, suggesting that there should be ex ante checks and with respect to the ones which are of limited risk category yes they are bringing in transparency requirements so that kind of a graded approach towards risk is also very very important in the current context and i think at least eu is taking some bold initiatives and initiating discussions at the global level on this so which to me is a remarkable thing So on the graded point that you mentioned how do you view that in the context of what's happening in the US legal framework for generative AI See again the US is taking still I mean till now I think it is taking a far more relaxed approach as compared to from the European approach I do not know whether it's because they are underestimating the risk involved in this particular regard or whether it's because of their general outlook towards regulation and in the specific context of generative ai i think we are completely underestimating the diverse risks that are involved so if i am talking about the areas wherein i primarily work let's take two examples so i work in the field of education right so here you will notice that there is absolutely no control on how generative ai tools are currently used by students or the younger generation in the indian context so are there any age related restrictions in place are there any content related restrictions in place and if at all these platforms are providing some age related restriction are they enforced the answer is clearly no it is also important to again once again remind ourselves that there is hardly any awareness initiatives that are happening with regard to what are the potential risks that are existing for education when we are using generative ai tools and to me these kinds of things have extreme long term negative um, uh, effects on intellectual skills critical thinking as well as creativity in our next generation similarly is the case with respect to the other area with which i am more familiar with law and justice so as you might be aware of at least some of our judges are also experimenting with generative <laughs> tools and our lawyers are also doing for example recently one of the lawyers try to produce a chat gpt generated evidence before a delhi court thanks to the wisdom of that judge she said this cannot be accepted but the critical question is how many judges are aware of the pitfalls in using generative ai tools how many of our lawyers are aware of these things so we are actually working without any kind of guardrails and these are just two examples which i am highlighting from the areas i am most familiar with there are many other areas wherein yes there are deep threats involved so that's the reason why i say that there should at least be initiation of discussions on a risk based approach if something is posing extremely high risk yes we need to prohibit it i don't think we need to shy away from that and if something is posing high risk yes we might need ex ante regulations or ex ante screening against so that's a request which i would have in this particular regard and so i wouldn't really take the current us approach in this regard i think what we should uh, try to look at is a 
European approach in this particular, or maybe we should develop our own indigenous approaches in this particular area. Uh, Trisha, you want to add something to what Arul said? Uh, so to add on to some of the risks that come with the the proliferation of generative AI, one of course uh, are are these new categories. Uh, which include like issues of plagiarism and academic uh, integrity, new issues relating to copyright, IP, ethics. Uh, but we can also think about how generative AI is compounding or can compound some existing uh, online threats. And this includes, for example, uh, the use of deepfakes for disinformation campaigns. This can include simple things like uh using ChatGPT to make your phishing emails sound more uh, convincing. So there, there are this, these multitudes of ways in which cheaper, more accessible generative AI models can compound issues that we're still uh, struggling to regulate, especially in cybersecurity and online harms. On the specific point of defects, which uh, Trisha rightly pointed out, I must also add that these are things that can threaten even the basic foundations of our democracy, right? For example, we are going to have an election, national election in 2024. Are we even discussing what impact these generative AI tools can have on fair and transparent elections in 2024 or the state elections that might be happening uh, in the near future? There is hardly any discussions on those things. And as Trisha was rightly pointing out, of course, defects were existing before, but thanks to these generative AI tools, the fakeness levels are also actually getting improved at substantially high levels. So now you can generate not just deep fake text, it can also be images, it can also be audio, it can also be videos. So it's extremely, extremely important that we at least initiate discussions on this and initiate awareness among the public on what are the major pitfalls that are on our way. Yes, absolutely. And I would argue that defects don't even really have to be that good uh, to, to spread like wildfire. There have been examples in previous state elections, I believe, where a deep faked video was circulating and convinced many people, uh, even though it was, if you see it with a even slightly trained eye, you could you could uh, gauge pretty quickly that it's it's a deep fake. The problem, of course, is once they get better, even if you have the necessary digital literacy, you might not be able to tell that this is fake. So it requires like a whole uh, different approach to a critical approach to how we consume content on social media. And I certainly think there needs to be clear guidance, uh, especially during elections, on on the permissibility of such content. Uh, Social media platforms are deliberating uh, kind of labeling of AI generated content, though the technical feasibility is is still in question. There's also the the, the problem of uh, uh, falsely identifying content as AI generated, but certainly some of these debates are already happening in social media as well. Yes, I think deep fake has been an issue uh, we've been facing even before the AI genie was out. I think within the current context, if we look at uh, maybe like Arul, you previously pointed out, should we develop an Indian 
way to approach artificial intelligence and generative ai uh, uh, how do you think what are the existing frameworks through which we could build something um or should we create something radically new uh, that could be emulated by rest of the world uh, what do you think so if you look at the existing framework of course we all know that the constitutional law provides certain safeguards against discrimination and it also protects right to life etc so those principles can definitely be used but if you really want to address the specific issues that are getting generated through these generative ai tools what we might require um two things so one is of course a comprehensive a regulation framework so by comprehensive regulation framework i mean both horizontal regulations that would be applicable across sectors as well as um vertical regulations which are sector specific regulations so that's point number 1 the second thing is we also need to have more clarity on the data protection side of course we all know that we have a um digital data um, uh, protection act now but even if you look at that act you will notice that um it is clearly not applying to any personal data that was made publicly made available by the user to whom the data relates this in effect is actually legitimizing all the scrapping that was done by these ai firms and these are the areas where i think we need to have more nuanced approaches and these nuanced approaches can happen only through more deliberations on the potential uh, negative consequences of these kinds of emerging technologies unfortunately that's not the way we are actually making regulations now and this is a clear example there so let's have a comprehensive a regulatory framework which is also carefully looking at the data related dimensions so that would be my approach or my suggestion here trishai uh, i think you have an interesting view on data protection how do you uh, is that complementing what arul said or could would you want to add your point of view hmm i had a digital personal data protection act it's kind of gone through many lives before uh, before it was finally passed um, recently it it started its life as something that was supposed to uh, protect individuals from uh, data collection both by by uh, the private sector as well as government it has since been it has since taken a new life as something that's more focused on generating economic value uh though it does hold private entities a little more accountable the the individual rights portion of it has weakened considerably over over many iterations of the act now the expectation is that the digital india act is going to fill some gaps uh, left by the dptp act at least that's what we've been hearing from the ministry of electronics and information technology that dia uh, will will be the answer to many of the questions that have cropped up with the passage of the digital personal data protection act but again we'll have to see what shape it takes it would certainly be more advisable to have leaner regulations rather than over regulation which tends to be the the uh, 
the tendency uh, in, in Indian regulation, in part because a lot of these debates are still nebulous, uh, legal opinions are still being formed. But yes, it, it's really a wait and see game right now, uh, whether uh, Indian legislation will finally address many of these issues that, that were kind of left in the dark. Thanks. Uh, staying on the uh, the Indian uh, legal framework, Arul, would you want to uh, s- uh, slightly flesh out that idea of how this data scraping part uh, is this, is actually essentially can be enabled through the existing the Digital Personal Data Protection Act? Yeah. So just to, I think, give more clarity on that particular point. So if you look at this clause 3C2 of this Digital Personal Data Protection Act, um, it is categorically pointing out that the act will not apply on personal data that was publicly made available by the user to whom the data relates. Which in effect means, imagine that John had shared a couple of images or maybe yeah, a couple of texts through his blog post or through his Facebook page, etc. According to this particular provision, yes, the provisions of the Digital Personal Data Protection Act will not be available for John as a remedy. Now, where is the problem? When these firms like OpenAI are actually scrapping the web for data, they are also taking each and every one of us data without taking any consent. Of course, John might have shared certain materials through his blog post for a certain purpose, but he might have never intended to allow those data to be used as training material by an AI form. Now, do you have a remedy? In the current scheme of things, there would hardly be any remedy. And I am saying that not just from the Data Protection Act's perspective, but also from the Copyright Act's perspective. Because when you are using copyrighted materials as training data, the chances of a court finding that that constitutes fair use if it is happening in the United States and maybe as one of the exceptions if it is happening under the Indian Copyright Act is at a fairly high level. So that means when the machine is using the copyright materials for learning purposes, that is, I mean, the broadly what we would refer as the text and data mining, generally that would be exempt from liability. That's where we are currently standing. And I also don't disagree with that position. But the problem would come when firms like OpenAI are actually going to also privatize the profits from all these kinds of training data. In other words, it wouldn't be that far off when we see these firms claiming copyright ownership over works generated through the data which was shared by you and me. And that's where the whole problem comes in. So we have to have a nuanced approach there. So one thing is, yes, we might allow the use of copyrighted materials as part of training data. But my suggestion there would also be there should be an opt-out provision. For example, if John doesn't want his photos or writings to be used as training materials, there should be an opt-out provision for John. The second thing is whatever content that is generated through these data, there should not be any IP ownership over those works that should be in public domain. In other words, there should be no IP protection over those works. I think that might help us a uh, lot in this particular regard. 
interesting perspective i think on the opt out itself if you were to uh, juxtapose it with the eu ai act which had a great which has a graded structure does this have a, a provision for opting out uh, or you know giving no. people no so it only to the best of my knowledge it is only giving you two options there maybe trisha might correct me here if i am wrong so one is of course labeling the output as a generated uh, work the second thing is providing a summary of the copyrighted materials used for training so um, as far as i know the current version of the eu uh, ai act doesn't have that opt out provision but that's also something which we might want to uh, discuss when we develop an india specific approach Trisha, you want to add? Uh... Mm, no, I don't believe there is any such provision. The UAI Act, the GDPR had some provisions, but then they're not really AI specific. India actually had a, a model. There was a framework. Niti Aayog came up with it, which was uh, the data empowerment. and protection architecture depa which generated a lot of buzz and uh, all our policy makers were talking about it but uh, I- i'm not sure what the state of stuff it is now but that was kind of revolutionary it it, it was could have been india's offering to the world in terms of user centered regulation when it comes to data and something that could have also worked uh, when it comes to issues of like data scraping right Yeah, could you just slightly flesh that out? Like, what exactly was that uh, framework? Certainly. So the idea with it was that users would have greater control over what kinds of data was being shared, uh, and they would have the ability to. Um, withdraw consent uh, where where required they would be able to access their data like seamlessly and determine how it would be shared with third parties and that that was the framework that it was trying to build uh, the the idea was to have something called consent managers who would sort of mediate this relationship between Uh, the user and institutions with whom the users were choosing to share their data and we're not to show where it is right now what's the status of uh, that framework is no i mean yes i the, the idea of consent managers is still kind of around but it's not really taken the shape that deepa had proposed arul to uh, correct me if i'm wrong here Yeah, as far as I know, that's the current situation, unfortunately. Uh, and Arul, if I, I I want to take this uh, into your area of domain again, into competition law, uh, what what if companies start saying that uh, if you want to put us to explain what goes into our data sets, like what what we use to train our language models, uh, would be at the cost of exposing our own trade secrets. Uh, how how do you see that argument from a competition law perspective? Uh, what's your view on that? Yeah, again, I think that's a great question, particularly in view of the fact that there is high concentration in this particular market. There are only very few firms that are like managing this at a successful level now. 
and we certainly need to address that power imbalance because that also have enormous consequences including what kind of views will be generated by these models so one of the arguments in literature is that uh, most of these models are actually going to generate homogeneous views so we wouldn't be having pluralistic views as we might have right now right so from that perspective this question is extremely important but now coming to your specific question of whether they can rely on the trade secrets regime to guard against disclosure my position would be that we shouldn't allow them to do it so of course this is what the firms are currently doing because they are scrapping data from across the globe but they don't want to actually show us the details of what all are the training data or the details of their model uh, but when there are enormous social harms involved and we already discussed some of the harms i don't see any reason why we should force the disclosure uh, in such context so again i reemphasize they would certainly try to argue that it is a trade secret but during the pandemic also we saw discussions in this line whether there should be kind of compulsory licensing against trade secrets and i would say that maybe this is one of the instances wherein yes a compulsory licensing like regime is a must in view of the broader social consequences interesting Uh, Trisha, you want to add something to this? Uh, no, nothing to add further to this. Um, I did want to add one point uh, by way of context on just the state of AI, if that's okay. Yes, sure. So, because I've been studying tech and geopolitics uh, for a while now, it's been interesting to see um, the policy hype cycle around a lot of these emerging technologies. uh and ai has really seen a kind of renaissance just in terms of the hype not so much in terms of the technology and let me explain what i mean there until quite recently a lot of coverage around ai was talking about how we're approaching a new ai winter where progress in ai development had slowed down and it's really it's still slowing down ai investment has been going down over the last decade uh, we're reaching this point of saturation when it comes to the amount of resources we put into the models and the performance improvements we get but the interesting thing is that because of this hype that really chatgpt has generated it's placing pressure on companies and entities to adopt these models even if they're not getting much better and that has its own set of risks which is why regulation becomes all the more important uh i think on that note uh, i'd like to thank both of you for taking your time out uh, to be on the podcast i uh, really appreciate you sharing your perspectives uh, on generative ai and the regulations surrounding it thank you so much uh, trishana arul thank you john it was a pleasure interacting with both you and trisha thanks john thanks arul